When there's a fire or medical emergency, most run the other way. For hundreds of volunteers in our community, it's the exact opposite. This year, Portage Health Foundation is celebrating those volunteers with $50,000 in funding. All volunteer emergency services units in Barragahoton, Keweenaw, or Onsonagan County are eligible for this funding with up to $5,000 available per grantee. This grant can be used to fund new turnout gear, make upgrades to vehicles or buildings, and much more. We can't wait to see how this funding will be used to make our community a safer place. Learn more at phfgive.org. Welcome to Capra Country Today. I'm Grant Ducetto. This program brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can learn more at phfgive.org. I am talking with two people from Dial Help here in Houghton. It is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. First, I have Paige Setter-Halvox and Virginia Lambert also on with me. Good morning. So, people may have noticed if they're walking about town that there's been some teal out there that maybe there wouldn't be otherwise. Teal, obviously, is the official color for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And Dial Help, you guys have a big um, kind of push during this time of the year. Why don't you talk a little bit about the different programs that have been going on over the past three weeks and are going to wrap up here at the end of April? Yeah, so um, one of the first things... uh, for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. For the third year, we've done uh, Coppa Country Sam on social media. It's been available on Facebook and Instagram. Um, And the main part of that is to get the community talking. You know, sexual assault is a really difficult topic for a lot of us to talk about. So we think the social media contest is a fun way um, to get talking and have everyone sharing, Um, especially right now with everyone being so virtual, um, it's been really nice to virtually, I guess, paint the town teal as well as physically. Um, we're also doing support groups. We had our first support group on the, what was it? It was the 14th of this month where we did scratch paper art, um, which is all supplied by Dial Help. We supply all the craft supplies for teal. Um, And we have our next meeting for kids under the age of 18 on the 27th at 5 p.m. Or we have a adult teal meeting on the 28th at 6 p.m. And this time we are decorating plant pots. So we're really excited. Um, People just need to contact me at Dial Help or they can call the crisis line uh, to get their plant supplies. I know that this past Wednesday you were in downtown Houghton doing a puppy parade. You also are doing it virtually until the end of today. Anything else that, as far as events go, that people may have noticed over the past uh, month or so? Um, April 26th is Denim Day. Um, That's one of the awareness days that um, is celebrated all across the nation. Um, Just recognizing that no matter what you're wearing, it's not okay to be assaulted. So uh, a lot of folks on Michigan Tech's campus, along with Finlandia's campus, and in our community, We'll be sporting our best denim that day in support of sexual assault awareness. And I was actually looking up Denim Day to kind of figure out the backstory behind it. And it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you know it fully as far as uh, it goes to a court case in uh, Italy, actually. Yeah, a court case in Italy back in, I think it's like 1999. Um, I believe they said that she could not have been sexually assaulted because her pants were too tight. Yeah, essentially, I believe it was that there was an assault that happened between, I believe, like a driver's ed instructor and a teenage girl. And the lowest court found that he did not do anything. He was charged, I believe, with indecent exposure, but he was not actually um, convicted on assault. 
Then an appeals court stepped in and overruled the lower court and said, yes, he did assault her. And then when it got to the Supreme Court of Italy, a fairly major venue, they said that because her pants were so tight that the only way the guy could have gotten into them is if she would have helped them in some way. And that's where it all started. Yes, that's where it all started. Um, thank you for giving the rundown on that for people, too. And if anyone's interested, you go to denimday.org, um, and you can find more information about that, too. And you can even sign up groups and pledge uh, to wear denim that day as well. Um, as far as your organization, when you're talking about domestic violence and sexual assault, I know that a lot of um, similar type of organizations, once the COVID pandemic started and everybody was locked down, they kind of stopped hearing from people because everybody's in the same house together and you can't really get away from um, your potential abuser. Did you guys go through that period last year too? And is it starting to alleviate itself? Um, so my role at Dial Health is uh, I'm the, the Victims of Crime Act coordinator, so I work with victims of all crime. And the first month that we were on lockdown last year, um, I did see a decrease in the number of calls that I was receiving. Um, like most places, we started working from our homes instead of being in the office, but we were still um, reporting to police stations and the hospitals for call-outs. Um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week through the whole pandemic. Um, in fact, I think we've seen an increase in a lot of our services that we're having to provide because there were so many people that were kind of stuck with their perpetrators for so long. Um, and now they're reaching out and trying to follow up with some aftercare for themselves, some counseling. Um, we're going to court more than we usually do. So there was a little bit of a slow point, but then everything kind of burst open. We've never shut down any of our services. Our crisis line has always been available. Um, so at, at the end of the day, um, we're just here for you. We're always going to be here for you. And um, we're really thankful that we're able to get the word out to people that we're still here. Well, I would seem to make sense to me that if people are stuck together in one place for months on end, in some cases, that there's just more opportunity for bad things to happen. It could be anything from people driving each other nuts to the point that they get divorced. I believe divorce rates have gone up in the past year. Or it could be worst case scenarios like, say, domestic violence and sexual assault. And I would assume that that kind of... Uh, uh, that theory at least kind of syncs up with what you've been seeing over the past uh, nine to 12 months. I believe that's accurate. And honestly, even with the kids being locked down at home with their parents, um, that made more stressors in the home when they weren't able to go to school um, or people weren't able to see children. That was one of the concerns that I had was who was going to be able to report if they seen um, child abuse or neglect because no one was seeing the kids. Um, we, since, September of last year, we had opened up our Child Advocacy Center. Um, it is in Houghton here. We get referrals from CPS and law enforcement agents. And um, we have seen that being utilized a lot lately, too. So I'm, I'm thankful that things are opening up a little bit, and we are able to um, spend more time with our survivors of all crimes. Um, in fact, this week is actually National Crime Victims' Rights Week. Um, it's 40th anniversary, April 18th to the 24th. Um, 
So that kind of just ties right in there. It's support victims, build trust, and engage communities. So we're really thankful that we're able to talk with you and engage our community a little bit and let people know that we're here and we're having some online events and some in-person events. Sure, Paige and Virginia, maybe you can kind of go through Dial Help and just explain what it is exactly, how the organization is structured, and how you work with all the different agencies that you do. Well, you know, one of the things we're most known for is our crisis line. Um, our crisis line has been here since the 70s. It was originally made by um, a bunch of volunteers. Um, so a lot of what we first get comes in through our crisis line, along with actually a lot of community partners, like Virginia said, um, the Child Advocacy Center um, and Victim Services, we get referrals from the hospital, from the police station, from schools and CPS as well. Um, but yeah, so people will typically call into the crisis line and um, that's how we kind of assess um, what resources someone might need, what services through dial help they might need. Um, and we do, we have a lot of really great programs still going through COVID, like our peer recovery program, um, we have a peer recovery coach here named Kathy, um, along with our safety net program. Um, and the safety net program is kind of to catch people dealing with bereavement or um, any kind of complex crisis. And it's a extra person to kind of check in and see how someone's doing um, while connecting them to resources they may need. Um, so I know... Um, up here, it can be a little harder to find a counselor, um, or the wait times they get in to see a counselor can be a little long. Um, so sometimes the safety net program is a great way to kind of uh, bridge the gap between services while people are waiting and making sure that they are getting the services that they need. My initial kind of thought would be that you would cater to people probably in their 20s up to maybe their early 40s, but it sounds like when you're talking bereavement programs and that kind of um, counseling, that that could really involve anybody from, you know, young children all the way up to the elderly. Yeah, you know, Virginia and I in Victim Services, we've worked with young children to um, very elderly people as well. So uh, Dial Help, we, um, we work with the community as a whole. And I think I cut you off about a minute ago, Virginia. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? Um, so our direct services for victim services are available to anyone in the Houghton, Keebanaw, Ontonagon, or Barriga counties. Um, and we'll, we'll travel to the hospitals, courthouses, um, police stations, and all those areas. We also offer a lot of other programs, which people might not be aware of, because when you think of that help, most people, like Paige said, think about our crisis line. Um, victim services is getting out there a little bit. People are getting to be more aware of our same program, our sexual assault nurse examiner program, where if someone's sexually assaulted and they want to collect the evidence, whether or not they want to um, hand it over to the police at that time. We do have a nurse and advocate that are available to meet them at the hospital and have an exam done uh, at no cost to them. Uh, we also have youth services where we have people going into the schools and working on um, working with families and uh, kids that are at risk. We do some in-school prevention programs, which are evidence-based prevention classes for the kids in the Houghton, Farragut, and uh, Ontonagon counties. We have our family support program, 
which is a by referral only program, but we have folks that work with people that need a little bit extra support with their families. Um, we have ongoing training and education, which has been a little bit on hold due to COVID, but we do um, offer the ASSIST program, which is the Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, um, and our Crisis Support 101 program. But like I said, during COVID, we're not offering those classes right now just, um, just because of social distancing. But we're, we're looking forward to the day that we're able to offer those programs again as well. And when you're talking about something like, say, suicide prevention, I'm assuming it's not just dial help here locally that's kind of tapped into that network. Are you working with regional or maybe even national groups to kind of uh, deliver those services? The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is uh, one of the places that we uh, offer our services to and we answer phone calls for them. So it's really cool about the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline um, that we answer for. Um, and sorry, I'm going to sound like a nerd here for a minute, but when you call that um, 800 number or they're working on having it be a three-digit number very soon, something similar to 911, um, when you call that number, somebody will always answer. Um, what it's going to do is um, kick you to the crisis line that's closest to you, and if for whatever reason that crisis line can't answer, you will go straight to another crisis line. Um, and we also, yeah, we answer for them. We also answer for RAIN, the um, rape abuse incest national network too. And when you're answering phone calls, do you learn a whole lot about the people on the other end of the line? If it's somebody calling, let's say they end up being from say Nebraska, you know, a thousand miles away from here, does that change kind of how you take that phone call and how you interact with them? No, it depends on the call. We do some, we learn a lot about, um, some of the people who call, um, for somebody who says, say they call out of area, we help with the immediate crisis situation. Um, and then we do our best to kind of refer them to resources in their own area, just because, you know, we're great, but, um, I don't know many of the services available in Nebraska off the top of my head. So the main focus is to get the person through that immediate crisis and then, um, help them find local resources. Um, and we also do things like warm transfers to people, um, our crisis line or us victim advocates. We will do conference calls with people for difficult calls sometimes as well. Talk to me a little bit about what got you started with Dial Help. So many of these services, I mean, some of them, it sounds like they could be incredibly personally gratifying for the people involved, but also they're very tough. I'm sure talking to somebody who's feeling suicidal is not an easy thing to do. What made you want to get involved with something like this? You know, I've just always liked working in the helper field. It's something that I've always um, felt drawn to through college. I worked a lot of in-home care and, you know, they, I've just noticed that there's a need in this world and, um, you know, I do my best to help serve our community. Yeah, that's, that's such a good question because some of us, I think, found our way here kind of accidentally. Um, I started my career as a teacher, and I worked with youth and seen a lot of ways that teachers touch youth's lives and how they can enhance their lives. But I also seen a lot of limitations that came with um, helping children. So one of the things that I would often see are children that may be in a um, home where there's not enough support. And um, being able to work on this side of the program I'm able to help the youth by helping their families. So, you know, if um, 
one of the parents is a victim of a crime, we're able to try to address that with counseling, um, getting crime victim compensation, um, going to the hospital, making sure that they're getting the medications they need for sexual assault. Um, so we kind of treat, we can help other kids and we can help the whole community as a whole. So I think that's what really drew me to this position was um, seeing a need, feeling a need, and just trying to encourage the community to all step up and be there for each other. Talk to me a little bit about the group uh, therapy sessions or group uh, recovery sessions that you're hosting. What are some of the different activities involved? And obviously sexual assault or even domestic violence probably tends to break down and it hurts um, maybe one gender more than the other. Is that something that you, you kind of try and cater to maybe females more than men? Or is it a case where you need to be welcoming for everybody in these types of settings? You know, for adult feel and kids feel as well. Um, we are open to everyone who we think would benefit from the support group. Um, typically, what we do are crafts. Um, Dial Help, like I said, supplies all of the crafting supplies. So if anyone wants to join, just let us know. Um, we typically, so we craft for about 45 minutes and we talk. And then we'll talk about things that are going on in someone's lives. Like um, we've talked about healthy boundaries. We've talked about personal safety. It kind of just depends on what everyone wants to talk about. Um, they are a really nice group, so um, it's just a nice, safe space with other people who are just looking to have a nice, safe conversation and craft for a little bit. Um, they're a really awesome groups, so we're really grateful that we're able to still offer them, and we've been offering them all through um, COVID as well. Now, are they being done virtually? At the moment, they're being done virtually. As far as kind of getting newcomers to groups like that to open up, is it difficult or do they find that once they sit down and actually meet with the group and realize that a lot of the people in the room with them look like them, probably have had similar experiences to them that they open up fairly quickly? You know, it, it really depends on the person. Um, while we are running things virtually, you know, I have lost a little bit of my control in person. I rented a conference room and, um, I only let the people who are coming know where the conference room was. Um, and we are, we're keeping up safety with the zoom links as well. Um, I'm the only one who gives out the zoom link to people. Um, but we do lose a little bit of our control because I don't necessarily know who's on the other side of someone else's screen. Um, so we do ask people for overly personal things that you set up a time to talk to me or another advocate personally. Um, so on our virtual groups, um, I would say that there's a little less um, personal sharing. Um, but it is a group, even virtually, where people are still very comfortable and it is a good time. Um, and how yeah. long do they meet when we're talking craft projects? Is it like an hour or are we talking longer than that? It depends what everyone's feeling. You know, I've had groups go on for two and a half hours because, um, you know, we were just crafting and time got away. Um, other times, you know, they're an hour because um, nobody had much to talk about and we just wanted to do some crafting. As far as Finlandia and Michigan Tech go, what percentage of your services goes to that kind of cohort, that college student, or maybe even if we're talking, you know, late high school type of uh, young teen type cohort? That's hard to say because um, it's really interesting with our crisis line. We don't necessarily know 
if you are a college student at Michigan Tech or that, unless you want to disclose that information. Uh, we, everything is uh, uh, anonymous, so we just get basic information if they're willing to give it. So it's really hard for us to put a, a statistic on that. Um, I, I guess we didn't mention this, but our uh, crisis line is also available by text messaging as well. So um, I think that a lot of the younger generation, like the high school students and the um, college students, take advantage of that a little bit more than they do the calling, but the percentages I, I wouldn't know. Um, Paige and I also go into the schools when it's non-COVID and work with their student groups. Um, we offer information about how to get help for like the RAs if they have uh, students that comes to them that has been sexually assaulted so that they know um, how to handle that student and how to get that student the best help and give them options of what they can do to reach out for help. And uh, victim services, we also work with both of the Title IX at both the universities, um, along with Michigan Tech, they have a group called SAVE on campus for sexual assault awareness. Um, actually, they just had some really good events too um, this past time. If you guys got to go see the cover cruiser, that was an awesome event. Um, but we work pretty closely with Michigan uh, Tech and Finlandia just to make sure that um, the students know about our services as well. When you're dealing with students, obviously there's going to be a significant portion of campus that are international students, and they may not share a similar language or even a similar culture. Is it difficult to kind of break down those barriers if you have to deal with them, or is it something that comes fairly naturally? You know, for all of advocacy, we, and our crisis line as well, um, we truly try and just meet people where they're at. Um, so, you know, I think we just do our best to work with everyone and just, like I said, truly meet people where they're at and assess their needs, because it's not about us, it's about them. And all of our um, employees do have cultural competency training, um, so we are aware of the differences and the cultural differences and um, really do try to approach everybody with uh, a survivor-minded survivor survivor focus mentality. That's what I was looking for. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> um, as far as like the, the crisis line, is that a 24-hour service? And if so, how do you staff it? Is there a lot of volunteer help? Yeah, so our crisis line is answered uh, 24 hours a day. You can um, text on your phone or you can chat online. Um, we do have a good amount of volunteers on our crisis line along with a few paid staff. Um, if anyone is interested in volunteering on the crisis line, we are hoping to get a crisis line training up in the next few months or so. Um, it's a really great service to your community, and um, for those college kids listening, it looks really great on your resumes. And you're provided with a lot of training. A lot of training. It's a 30-hour um, classroom training along with at least 30 hours of shadowing. Um, so we do make sure everyone is fully trained and that they're feeling um, confident to answer the line before they answer any calls. And if somebody is maybe not sure exactly what services you have, because you do have a fair amount of them, or maybe just kind of where their problem fits in, who should they contact to kind of get sent in the right direction? I would say contacting our crisis line. Um, they are wonderful and they just know so many resources in the community so if it's not something we may not have um, they'll send you to someone in the community who does 
um, say like housing for domestic violence. We don't offer housing, but the shelter up in Baraga and in Calumet offers shelter. And they can also check out all our programs online at stylehealth.org. Um, and they have a, a comprehensive list of all the programs that we offer. So if they're interested in just looking it up online and seeing if they fit into any of those services, they can also do that. As far as the group sessions, when are they? What day of the month or what day of the week and, you know, what time of the month? Yeah, so um, we make sure to post on Facebook and then our crisis line team, they always have the dates as well. Um, and it's also posted on our website, but we typically meet on Wednesdays. Um, uh, Wednesdays at 6 o'clock typically for the adults and then for the kids, we're looking at Tuesdays at 5 o'clock. Um, these could change because we do schedule these um, based around the participants. Um, so um, they're always located on our website, Facebook, and you can always call us as well. Um, but the next ones are coming up April 27th and uh, April 28th. April 27th is for the kids um, and April 28th is for the adults. Uh, like I said, we are decorating plant pots um, and every plant pot comes with a free little starter plant as well. And you guys are serving Houghton, Barriga, and Ontonagon counties, correct? And Keweenaw. And Keweenaw. Yeah, the okay. services is Houghton, Barriga, Keweenaw, and Ontonagon, but our crisis line covers the entire UP along with our um, safety net program. Gotcha. Well, thank you very much for joining me on Capra Country today, Paige and Virginia. Thanks for having us. Thank you.